I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. As Trevor told you in the video, we're going to focus today on the Ten Commandments. We're going to the mountain. And our scripture lesson for today is from the 19th chapter of Exodus, first six verses. And I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. <clears throat> On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <clears throat> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. In 1994, my wife and I were reassigned from the Methodist Church in Myrtle Beach to church in Memphis, Tennessee. Several weeks after we had arrived in Memphis, I got a letter from a little girl in the Memphis church. And it was a letter of welcome. Glad to have you in Memphis. She drew a couple of pictures too. And then in that note, she said this, I know you miss the ocean. I hope you like the river. Well, it didn't take us long to fall in love with a mighty Mississippi. And right there at Memphis, it's over a mile wide. And every year, right down by the river, they hold a great festival called Memphis in May. They serve the finest barbecue in the world. And there was always a wonderful old African-American gentleman with a wonderful baritone voice. And he would always sing that classic song from Showboat, Old Man River. What a thrill to listen to him. We learned very quickly that there's a lot of traffic on the Mississippi. Huge barges chug up and down the river night and day. And guiding all of those barges and all the other traffic on the river, 
there are buoys in the river. And these are maintained by the Coast Guard. And those buoys mark the channel of the river and point out where danger is, shallow water. Now, a captain of a vessel can disregard the buoys if he wants to, and he may run his vessel aground. If he does that, I promise you, he will not hurt the bottom of the Mississippi River. But it might severely damage his vessel. Those buoys remind me of God's laws, especially the Ten Commandments, given by a gracious God not to cramp our style, not to deprive us of anything good, but to point us toward the good life. We can ignore them, those commandments, if we want to, and we'll suffer for it if we do. In a real sense, you cannot break the Ten Commandments. But if you violate them, they can break you. Today I focus on the Ten Commandments because there are a whole lot of Americans who no longer understand them or respect them. One of the devil's smoothest sales jobs is to persuade a lot of Americans that the Ten Commandments are out of date, no longer relevant for our modern times. At many of our elite colleges and universities today, the students are taught there's no such thing as right and wrong, even in mathematics and science, and certainly not in the area of personal morality. Hollywood's sex ethics have spread across the country, sadly, undermining the seventh commandment against adultery. And there are many Americans including the Supreme Court, that have rejected the Bible's definition of marriage and therefore they can hardly recognize adultery whenever it happens. The third commandment prohibits profanity. And yet you will agree with me that in most of our movies and much of our television, profanity is just standard fare. The Sixth Commandment prohibits murder. And most people agree that killing is wrong, and yet killing in America seems to be increasing. Many of our urban areas have become killing zones haunted by gangs and guns. And though the number of abortions has been decreasing in recent years, thank God, still over 700,000 little unborn babies are destroyed every year. Think about it. And sadly, the most dangerous period in the life of an American child is the first nine months. The ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness, is broken almost as often as the Sabbath is violated. And the tenth commandment, Thou shalt not covet. My goodness, that's almost un-American. I mean, one of the goals of advertising is to teach covet, coveting. Indeed, many people regard coveting as a great assist for the free economy of America. Many Americans are guided by the philosophy, if it feels good, 
do it. And in fact, that's a, a bumper sticker you'll see around. If it feels good, do it. I have a friend who said whenever he sees a car with that bumper sticker, he's tempted severely to ram that car with his vehicle. Why would he do that? Because he wants to hear that driver say, why in the world did you ram my car? And then he could say, because it felt good to me, so I did it. <laughs> we cannot discuss the Ten Commandments without first making a confession. None of us in our own strength can obey them faithfully. Just take the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, a God is whatever comes first in your life. All of us, at one time or another, at one period of our life or another, have served some substitute God more faithfully than we have served Jesus Christ. Take the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Now remember, Jesus said, if you look at someone other than your spouse with lust in your heart, you commit adultery. I doubt that any person older than 16 is absolutely innocent in regards to that commandment. Even former president and Baptist leader Jimmy Carter confessed to that sin. Therefore, both the Old and the New Testaments declare there is no one righteous, not even one. Ah, but here comes the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, before God required anything of us in performance, he saved us. Before God delivered the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, he liberated them from slavery. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Similarly, Jesus liberates us from slavery to sin before calling us to obey his laws. By faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are saved. Therefore, our motive, you see, for obeying God's laws is not to perform, not to earn anything. We don't have to. Our motive is sheer gratitude, sheer gratitude. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We strive to keep God's laws because we love the one who first loved us and gave himself for us. And God gives us a powerful helper in obeying his laws. The Holy Spirit residing within us who gives us the ability to obey God's laws. Let me remind you of how we got the Ten Commandments. The people of Israel, and it was a huge crowd, over one half million. They were trudging across the Sinai Desert on the way to the Promised Land. They are newly liberated from slavery down in Egypt. They were chased by an Egyptian army, and God miraculously carved out a path of dry land over the Red Sea, rescued them. When the people complained about hunger, God gave them quail. Now, can you eat better than that? That's the food of kings. And a sweet bread called manna. God used a great cloud to guide them by day and then a pillar of fire by night. And then in the third month after leaving Egypt, they drew near to Mount Sinai. 
And God called Moses and said, come up on the mountain. And there God declared to Moses, look, if the nation of Israel will be faithful to me and will obey my commandments, then she will become the national mediator of God's blessings for the entire world. And then God gave Moses 10 rules for the nation. And God actually wrote these. He etched them into stone tablets. Now, God inspired the entire Bible, but he actually wrote the Ten Commandments. And a little later, Moses, in a fit of righteous indignation, threw those tablets to the ground and destroyed them, so God had to make a second copy, which he did. The Ten Commandments are still the bylaws for any people who want to serve God. In today's scripture, I find two truths about the Ten Commandments that I want to apply to our hearts. First, God's commands, God's, God's commandments are motivated by love. The one who gives the commandments is no tyrant. He is the gracious Father God who has borne you on eagles' wings. In the first letter of John, we read, we love because he first loved us. That means we take the commandments seriously, not primarily because we are afraid not to, not primarily because we're afraid if we don't, we'll go to hell. We take them seriously because the one who issues them loves us and always seeks what is best for us. When I was eight or 10 years old, this time of year, all the boys in my neighborhood and some of the girls too, we played baseball every day that the weather permitted. And our favorite place to play was the street right in front of my house. It was a neighborhood street, not a major thoroughfare. Disadvantage of playing baseball in the street is you couldn't slide into base. Scrape yourself pretty badly. But the, the street had real advantages. For one thing, you got a true bounce of the ball off the pavement so you could field a hot grounder. Furthermore, when we were playing roll at the bat, you had a good chance of rolling that ball and hitting that bat even from a, a good distance away. <clears throat> so every day that the weather permitted, we were out there having a baseball game. <clears throat> Imagine our surprise and disappointment when suddenly our parents laid down a rule, no more baseball in the street. We said, what? Is this another adult attempt to just spoil innocent fun of children? What we didn't understand was that they knew that sometimes a driver would turn onto that street going faster than the speed limit. They also knew there was such a thing as a drunk driver. They also knew that when we were immersed in baseball, we were not paying attention to cars. So they laid down a rule. We thought it was just a way to aggravate children. In reality, it was a sign of how much they loved us. Each and every one of the Ten Commandments is a loving admonition from the one who cares even more for us than our parents ever could. That's the first truth about the Ten Commandments. Second one is this. God's commandments are our guidepost 
to the good life. Guideposts to the good. In verses 5 and 6 of our text today, God spells this out. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So, the Ten Commandments are a recipe for blessedness, a prescription for the abundant life. On the other hand, to violate them is to flirt with disaster. I heard about two men who were in a truck, and neither one of them was very smart. And they came to a, an overpass and had a sign on the front of it that said, Clearance. Clearance, 11 feet, 3 inches. So the two guys got out and measured their truck, and it happened to be 12 feet and 4 inches. They got back in the truck, and one of them asked the other, What do you think we ought to do? The driver looked around and said, there's not a cop in sight. Let's go for it. <laughs> well, some people have the same attitude toward God in the Ten Commandments. They, they visualize God as the great cop in the sky who's just out to bust them, deprive them. His laws, they think, designed to cramp their style, cheat us out of something good. And so they think if they can beat the rap, they'll try of course, the opposite is really the case. The Ten Commandments are God's guidelines for the good life, designed to protect us from harm and direct us toward the most fulfilling lifestyle on earth. Now, most of us, when we're feeling good and thinking straight, can make pretty good moral decisions. But the problem becomes more difficult when we are tired or angry or frustrated or frightened. And then it's a lifesaver to have a code of conduct already in place for us. Somebody has said, the decisions I make in my best moments bind me in my worst moments. And one of the best decisions we can make in our best moments is to obey God's commandments. One of the master preachers of the past century was a British Methodist named Leslie Weatherhead. And as he came to the end of his ministry, he made a statement to his congregation. And part of it was so important, I want to quote it to you very carefully. Leslie Weatherhead said this, I am to be asked shortly on a radio program to answer this question. What have you learned from life? Well, I've learned a lot of things. From my own failures, from the confidences of innumerable men and women, and from the rough and tumble of 45 years in the Christian ministry. And I'll tell you the outstanding thing I have learned. It is this. Life will only work out one way, and that is God's way. Every other way has across it a barricade bearing a notice which says, no trespassing. If you climb over the barricade and plunge onward, there is a cliff up ahead. Outside of God, there is only sin, heartbreak, and death. Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Leslie Weatherhead was right. 
the late P.D. East was a journalist from Mississippi. And he told a modern-day parable that was so realistic as to be frightening. In the parable, he said the two superpower nations were right on the verge of nuclear war. They had already issued warnings to each other, crossed all kind of red lines, and now they had bombers and submarines ready to launch nuclear missiles. And then right at the last moment, they hesitated, realizing that they were about to unleash on the world a nuclear holocaust. And so they hesitated and said, all right, we're going to have one last peace conference. And they invited to that peace conference the most brilliant people on earth in various fields. And to assist that crowd of geniuses, they brought in the largest computer available at that time. And this computer supposedly was so strong and powerful that if you programmed it correctly, it could solve any problem. So they invited all those brilliant people to download into that computer all of their most profound insights related to peace. And one after another, those geniuses gave that computer the best they had. And then they asked the computer, how can we save the world? How can we live in peace on this earth? And that computer went to rumbling and grumbling as it ingested and digested all of that brilliance. And then after a period of time, it began to print out the answer. And this is what the giant computer said. God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image. You shall not take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And according to the parable, the modern day parable, the mechanical brain affirmed that God's laws were still the last best hope for mankind. In conclusion, let me tell you about a remarkable commencement address. Now, not many commencement addresses are even remembered because, frankly, graduates have their mind on other things. They're not listening. But 30 years ago, the ABC newscaster, Ted Koppel, delivered the commencement address at Duke University. And even after 30 years, his address is still being quoted Koppel violated all of the rules of political correctness because he dared to talk about moral values. And frankly, in the current atmosphere on most college campuses, I doubt that his address would even be allowed today. But here is part of what Mr. Koppel said 30 years ago. We have actually convinced ourselves that slogans will save us. Shoot up if you must, but make sure you use a clean needle when you do. Enjoy sex whenever and wherever you please, but always make sure you do it safely. But those slogans are dead wrong. The right answer is no, a thousand times no. Not because it isn't cool or smart or because you might end up in jail 
are suffering from AIDS if you do. But just because it is wrong, we have spent 5,000 years as a race of human beings trying to drag ourselves out of the primeval slime by searching for truth and moral absolutes. And in its purest form, truth is not a polite tap on the shoulder. It's a howling reproach. What Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not the ten suggestions. They were the ten commandments. And at the end of Mr. Koppel's address, perhaps surprisingly, the students gave him a standing ovation. How can we be sure that God's commandments are best for us? The signature of his caring is in the nail prints of his hands and the bloodstain on the cross. His commandments are valentines, straight from the heart of God to your heart and mine. Let's try to live by them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious and Holy Father, forgive us for our willful rebellion against you and your word. You have graciously shown us the path to abundant life, but we stubbornly prefer to chart our own paths. Help us to come to our senses and claim your way as the best way. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.